0: You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 211 Amy Bird and Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Pack your shovel because we are digging deep on this one. Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, If you found this conversation, I'm glad you're here. Um, I hope that it encourages you. And if you haven't had a chance, go out to HalfwayTherePodcast.com, check out the show notes pages. Uh, There's also a link there to Patreon if you want to support the show. That is always helpful. You can get cool swag like the Halfway There t-shirt I'm wearing right now. Uh, If that's something you're interested in. Uh, Today we have a really great conversation. I've been saying I'm a little bit of a sucker for a provocative title. I enjoy that. And our guest today has written a book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. That will get your attention. How the Church Needs to Rediscover Her Purpose. She's an author, a podcaster, which I haven't even told her yet. I reviewed her podcast for the next issue, the July issue of (laughs) podcast magazine so that's kind of cool our guest is amy bird amy welcome to the show
1: thank you it's good to be here
0: yeah i didn't mention that i was gonna mention that to you before we started but yeah Yeah. i I write the religion and spirituality section in podcast magazine and uh so i did a review so that's uh that'll be out there as well so, cool. Well, hey, Amy, welcome to the show. I'm really glad that you're here. And uh, I've been kind of following you on Twitter for a little while. I saw your book. I thought it looked really interesting. And uh, um, I also know you. we have mutual friends in Colleen Sharp, who's been a previous guest on the yeah, show. Okay. listened yeah. to your conversation with her from April uh, last night, so that was good. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and where, where God has you right now.
1: Okay. Well, um I have been married for 23 years. And so I have a a daughter about to turn 21, which is crazy. (laughs) Um, Another one who just, just, uh, we went to her quarantine graduation service yesterday, which is very odd. Yeah, Um, She was the only one walking down the aisle. Um, And then uh, my son is finishing up his freshman year in high school. I grew up in the church. And early in my marriage, just, you know, was really trying to get more serious about my faith. My husband and I both were. And um, I come from a Baptist background. He comes from a Roman Catholic background. So we were trying to figure out, like, what we were. Yeah. um, And work all that out. And so that got me into just really getting in the Word more. And, you know, I just felt very convicted that if, if I want to live my life, you know, with Christian principles. I need to know like more about who God is, how He reveals Himself in His Word, and just how that matters then in my everyday life. And that really just gave me such a thirst uh, for learning, and uh, which led to my writing. Um, as I saw that, uh, you know, so many women and women's ministries I found just uh, not taking theology seriously Mm -hmm. and just like knowing who God is, uh, and why that matters. So that's what I kind of got into my writing, just hoping to encourage women that, uh, what we know about God and who he is, um, deeply saturates our thinking and actions every single day.
0: Absolutely. Really important. Um, so that's how you, it sounds like propelled you into writing. We'll, we'll get into that a little more. Um, and then also podcasting. How do you? You're on the mortification of spin. You're one of the co-hosts, which is a great yep. title, by the way.
1: Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was kind of accidental. Um, when my first book came out in 2013, I had asked Carl Truman to uh, endure, read it for endorsement. Actually, my publisher asked him because I didn't know him, and um, he was uh, very gracious with that. And after reading the book, told me that he. And his friend Todd Pruitt had started this podcast, The Mortification of Spin, and, um, you know, what I want to be interviewed for the book? I had never been on a podcast before <laughs> or anything, you know? And so I just went into the interview with him, and um, we just had a really good uh, banter, I guess you could say, between the three of us. And it added a a, a woman's perspective to this show. <laughs> These, You know, they kind of were you know, joking around about how they target the middle-aged and the balding and the bitter and and all this (laughs) stuff. I think maybe that helped opened up, uh, something a little more for the show. So they ended up asking me to come on and co-host with them after that interview.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think, uh, you guys do have a really great relationship, which is interesting. So if you're, and you come from a reform perspective, we'll, we'll talk about that maybe, but so if you're in interested in that, uh, the Mortification of Spin is a really great podcast to check out, I think. Not boring. A lot of reform podcasts <laughs> are boring, so not boring at all. I've listened to, I don't know, four or five episodes now, so good stuff. I want to talk a little more about your story, if you don't mind. Let's go back, go okay. go dig into that a little bit. Where are you from?
1: So I'm from Frederick, Maryland, and okay. I'm back there again now. Um, I really love this area.
0: Nice. Is that, mm-hmm. uh, what part of Maryland is that in?
1: So it, Frederick, is it's, it's becoming a, a pretty city of its own now, but it's definitely, you know, it was more of a suburb. Um, we're about 45 minutes from DC, about okay. 45 minutes from Baltimore, um, but it's a historical town. And um, so we have a lot of history here, but we also have a lot of beauty. I'm where I particularly live um, is on the west side of the county. So I'm really close to like Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, and Leesburg, Virginia. So uh-huh. it's kind of an interesting. You know, location where everything is so close and and beautiful area.
0: Yeah, interesting. What was the spiritual climate like for you growing up?
1: So I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and um my mother had come from a family where her dad was an independent Baptist preacher of the you know, much more fundamentalist uh brand. So um you know, I think she was definitely wanting to to, to steer away from that fundamentalism and, and the legalism aspect of things, but very much had a, a love for the Lord. And so um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist, in a Southern Baptist church. And I, I mean, my the culture, like my my family, I had, I was given really good uh, basics of the faith. You know, mm. um, I believed God's word to be true. Um he was raised with Christian quote unquote morals, but I, I, you know, I'm really thankful for the, um, prayer life, my p- habits, my parents installed mm. in me, you know, and just their trust in God's goodness. Um, growing up, I, I, you know, that made a real impact on me, but my church so much, I, I don't know. It's like, I went, it was a good thing to do, but we never really were connected there.
2: Mm.
1: And, um, <laughs> it was a funny story, but and my my girlfriend who we grew up together in in public school and in this church both admitted later that you know we sat up in the balcony of this church and the pastor had like a major comb over <laughs> and we like would imagine both of us not knowing this while he's preaching his sermon and we're supposed to be listening. <laughs> We're imagining like what it would look like if you combed, if you combed it the <laughs> other way. You know, obviously it's really long on one side. All right. So those kind of things. Um, it was it was more like when I got into college that I really started asking like the deeper spiritual questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was your, did you ever have like a, a moment and you don't have to because everybody comes to Christ differently, right? But you, did you just sort of, you believed because you grew up in the Christian family? You yeah, have your own? I
1: mean, I think that I, I always, in a sense, knew the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the Baptist church, they put a lot of emphasis on when you pray the prayer and right, baptized, right. and that happened for me when I was eight years old, but um, I never felt like there was a time where I wasn't close to God, um, except for in my teenage years. Um, my parents got divorced and stopped going to church, and um, I was definitely rebelling against all of that myself. Um So I do feel like in college, it's just after a couple years, you know, I always still thought of myself as a Christian and, you know, had these principles that I wanted for my adult life. Um, But then I realized, like, I'm becoming who I am right now. And God is important today. And um, I do feel like, you know, the Holy Spirit certainly convicted me. You know, I have a moment where I can really... um, remember and grasp that the Holy Spirit just kind of um, opened my eyes to the rebellion that I was in and the importance of like, okay, well, if I'm going to say I'm a Christian and I'm going to um, change my life according to that, then I need to know more than a couple catchphrases.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us that story. What what happened? How'd that, how'd that go down?
1: I mean, it's it's it wasn't anything like mountaintop or anything like that. Um, really, to be honest, I was partying with my friends and it just hit me that night that I'm like, this is not who I'm supposed to be. Like, this isn't who I say I am. Um, You know, who am I? I say I'm a Christian. And what does that mean then? And it just all hit me um, like a conviction, you know, became a lot more clear to me um, that I needed to pursue truth and make some changes in my life accordingly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think that happens, um, you know, for all of us at some point, right. Where it kind of, you have to kind of own that and go, okay, that's yeah, you're right. This is actually, I see why that was not a good thing to do. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, but I wanted, I wanted the whys, you know, to, to be answered clearly. And of course, you know, how it is with the faith and, and the Bible. Like <laughs> as soon as you go looking for answers, you start getting more questions and yeah. but then it's also beautiful. So it strengthens your faith. And, um, I'm just, yeah, it really helped me see that, you know, God was with me the whole time. Um, how gracious he was with me and and how he's really the one who was, uh, enlightening me, you know, this revelation of who he is. Um, I'm so thankful that, you know, he pursues me, me.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. That's good. So where did that lead you? So if you, you had this moment of conviction where you decided, Hey, this is, I don't want to keep doing these things that I'm doing. I'm going to head toward the Lord. Where did that, where did that take you?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, providentially his timing was kind of working in my husband to be in the same way growing up in the Roman Catholic church. Um, he had a lot of questions and things like that. And, um, so we didn't even know each other then, but we were kind of going through some same uh, some same questioning times in our lives. And um, so when, when I met him, that was really, you know, it was great. Our conversations about those things were really great. Um, I was surrounded, you know, in a secular university. I still had like a year and a half left and um, wasn't really hanging out with anybody that was Christian. Y'all probably said, said they were Christians, but yeah. <laughs> um, just you know, I I don't can't tell you that they could tell you what they actually believed. So I started going to a church there. That I thought, well, I'm a Baptist, I'll go to a Baptist church, you know, and um it was one of those deals where they were greet you at the door, oh, you're coming from the university, that's great or whatever, but never was invited to a thing. You know, it was very dissected. You know, I would go to worship and, and then leave. So that was the you know, I was thirsting for discipleship at that point and so sadly I, I couldn't get connected in the church easily and you know it's intimidating being young and coming in by yourself that was the first time I've actually like gone to church on my own um and um so I did start going to like the local Christian bookstore <laughs> looking for uh. you know like books that I could learn more from and um boy I you know I didn't realize you know it's just so naive that you need discernment in the Christian bookstore. You know, there was just so many. <laughs> and so the very first book I bought, um, it was on the table that said local authors. So I was like, well, I'd love to support a local author, you know, and learn about God at the same time. This is great. But uh, it really challenged my beliefs um, that book did. Uh, it was written by a woman, very um, whimsical, you know, like easy to read. But uh, she came from a more Pentecostal, you know, Pentecostal background. Oh, yeah. so she's talking about, you know, a totally different level of the faith, like kind of on this, like a second blessing kind of thing or whatever. And so I had a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that led me to get into more theology books because, you know, I wanted to learn more about um, what other people believe and how this all, um, you know, where is this coming from scripture and what scripture saying here. And, um, and interestingly enough, when I graduated from college, I opened up a coffee shop, and um, in, my mom and I both opened up together as partners. And we—it ha- wasn't a Christian coffee shop, but we would have like some Christian books for sale, like yeah, kind of like C.S. Lewis type stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then every you know every now and then we play Christian music, but we also played classic rock and you know other things like that. And same with our entertainment that would come in on the weekends. Uh, we'd mix it up. But so I guess word just got out in the community and people from all different churches started coming. It was like became their hangout spot, you know? Yeah. So here I am in my young 20s learning about, so, you know, so many of my stereotypes were shattered, uh, you know, about diff- people from different denominations mm-hmm. and what they believe. And we were challenged. And uh, just, I, I got gained so many friendships from that experience and a lot of growth. And my husband and I, you know, by this time we're married and had joined a church plant. So, um, you know, there's there's communities in a church plant. There's just so much community and hands-on work going on together. And and that was really beautiful. And so I think we really, you know, that was a great launch pad for for us to grow together.
0: Yeah. How did meeting all those people of different theological stripes shape your perspective.
1: Oh man, it, it still is. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was so young then. Um and so we had like the the Roman Catholic group that came in every Saturday morning for our meeting and uh full of love, you know, like I be shattered some like <laughs> Yeah. You know, full of love for for God and and thirst for God and and there they are with their Bibles and you know I'm thinking Roman Catholics never read the Bible. Right. So <laughs> there's that <laughs> And then, um, yes, definitely had some Pentecostal friends, a lot of those coming in, especially a lot of them were into the musical part of it. And
0: Pentecostals um, love coffee.
1: Yeah, yeah, um. and coffee. <laughs> uh, and we actually hired a woman who was in a Pentecostal church. And then um, then Presbyterian, which is where I am, am right now, um, you know, I always thought of them as the Frozen Chosen and <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> all of that, and, and even false teaching. Like that's what I was told. And from my my grandfather's background, you know, so, uh, just so many. And then, uh, lots of non-denominational and, and, you know, at the time I had just had so many questions about church and back then, you know, there was all the seeker sensitive movement and emergent movement. It was just all these things I'd never thought about before. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, I'm still thinking through all that. Totally
0: totally totally. I get that. And uh I was um yeah, so it was like in the 90s, kind of late 90s, early 2000s somewhere in there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, late 90s, um and yeah, into the early 2000s. Yeah. And I just really learned that okay, I think denomination is is good in the sense that here's your platform that you're speaking from. Like here's the confessions or what we believe. Um, and it's good to be kind of vocal and, and honest and upfront about where you're standing and speaking from. Um, however, I don't think we should speak just in those little bubbles. <laughs> right. That uh, I've really learned, and I'm still learning, how important it is uh, to to read widely to communicate widely. Um, it's so sharpening. I've learned so much from my brothers and sisters in different denominations. Mm,
0: I love that. Yeah. I really have too, which is why I love that point. Cause it wasn't, I grew up a very evangelical church, evangelical free, which okay. I always hated that name. Cause I felt like it was like cholesterol free, but <laughs> I was like, why? Anyway, I know why they did it, but it's kind of weird. But, yeah. um, but the, the, so when I went to college, I similar thing where I was engaging all kinds of different theologies, but it wasn't really till I went to seminary when I started engaging uh, Ignatius of Loyola and, mm. you know, things like that, that, that I really branched out and started to understand all the streams of, of the faith yeah. and what yeah. I can take. I, I'm a big fan of Richard Foster, that streams of living water idea, right. With, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's take the good things from all the different, all the different streams. So, yeah, I yeah. love that. Um, and not everything is great, but take the good right. things. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's That's
1: bones to spit out.
0: Hundred percent, hundred percent. But you can't, you can do that. So I'm, I'm a big advocate for it. Um, okay, so you, you were uh, doing the coffee shop thing and, and kind of getting exposed to a bunch of different theological ideas, um, and really soaking it up. Sounds like reading a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What? Uh, so I'm sure that shaped you. Where, where did you go from there?
1: Well, um, so at the coffee shop, I, you know, during that time, I I was leading a women's Bible study, which I reluctantly, (laughs) I was the one I wanted to be one of the learners, but no, nobody wanted to teach it. And my pastor at the time, um, really encouraged me and, uh, you know, gave me a systematic theology book to work from and things like that. Um, and we were, none of them were really small talkers in that group. So we were just really growing and asking Mm. a lot of questions, um, but that's also where uh, where it started, I think, planting a seed of, to, for even the book that I, my latest book, which is my fifth book. Yeah. Um, but, so, my pastor gave me this book and he, um, he, you know, I'm excited. I never even knew there was such a thing as a systematic theology book, you know, and I never thought that a, a lay person or, you know, would yeah, yeah. be given it. You know, I thought it would be for our pastors or uh, seminary students. So it was very accessible. It was very helpful. Um, however, like I said, we weren't small talkers and, you know, I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm thinking, well, this kind of contradicts what he's saying over here. I think <laughs> um, maybe I'm not understanding this correctly. And, um, and I knew the women in my, uh, in my Bible study, were going to pick up on some of that. And, um, so I brought this question to the pastor and I, I mean, I wasn't the. I tried really hard not to be that, you know, congregant who's coming to him all the time with questions, but he would check in on me, and I had questions ready when he did. Yeah, and, and they were. I think he was surprised by the questions, how, the theological level nature of the questions. So when I brought this one to him at this point, you know, we'd had several conversations, and he just kind of laughed and he said, "Amy, this is the women's Bible study." Ooh. <laughs> like, don't worry your pretty little faces over these really hard questions.
0: How did that know? feel?
1: Um, it was terrible. It 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 was, you know, it was very eye opening to me and revealing. Like, oh, you don't, you didn't expect us to grow <laughs> to here, you know. Like, uh, so, um, and and I was friends with this man, so. He's never seen chauvinist before or anything like that either, you know. Um, so it was just the hottest thing, and um, and so that's where you know, kind of I've started noticing what I you know, we call the yellow wallpaper in the in my book now, but um, yeah, so and at that same time, you know, I'd had my first child, and still, you know, I was working a good bit, but we had the schedule down so that either my husband was with her, um, when I was working or my dad watched her one day and my sister watched her two half days or whatever. But when it was time to like have more kids, I knew, I, you know, I knew that I, and there were other circumstances, um, that made me see that, okay, I probably should sell my half of the coffee shop now. And, um, and we moved shortly after that, about an hour away in West Virginia. And in that time, So it was kind of a nice breakaway from that church that we were at where the weird things things were starting to happen there. Um, But then, so we started attending a Presbyterian church and it was a PCA church. And I thought, well, you know, the Presbyterian church really cares about investing in uh, lay people and just education and all that kind of stuff. And so I was excited in that sense. Um, The community we were in was very um, socially Christian, uh, everybody went to church, uh, public schools, and everything like still celebrated Christmas, but the theology level was extremely low. It was just more of like moralism than it was actually uh, theological or knowing, uh, you know, real discipleship. So I found myself as a thinking Christian, kind of in a lonely, a lonely time, and and I'm missing that that Bible study that I was in, yeah. and um, that. That's kind of what led to me writing my first book, Houseway Theologian, was really um, birthed out of that loneliness and that need I saw for women to take seriously like their knowledge of who God is and why it matters. So I, I wrote it as kind of a, a tool that I hoped could be used um, to do that for groups of women.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, okay, so you... You started. Uh, it Sounds like you started blogging. I, I'm curious. I want to go back just a second. What was the mm-hmm. th- systematic theology that they gave you? <laughs> that
1: was Wayne Grudem. Oh, was of course. Yeah, theology. of course. Yeah.
0: Right. I wondered if that was the case because I think you described it in there, and it's it's like a very easy to read, right? So he's he's, he's does it's a pretty very good job.
1: Accessible with that. to lay people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah interesting. Lots okay. of good
1: stuff in there, but then stubbed my toe over.
0: Quite There's a some few other things. things in that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Total, totally agree. That was one of the ones I used in my th- uh, seminary theology papers. And, um, I actually took Grudem in seminary when I was at Trinity for my, my last, his last semester there was, was kind of fun for ethics. He didn't like some of my comments in my paper, so it's okay. We're probably (laughs) the same, same page. Um, but anyway, so, okay, so that's good. Um, so you started writing and you started digging into this thing. So I'm really interested in this idea and this is one that comes out in the, in the book as well. Again, friends, the book is recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, so this idea of this, this kind of condescending attitude, if I can call it that of your pastor about the women's ministry, yeah, like as if women's Bible study or women's discipleship doesn't matter almost. Um, yeah, or,
1: or if it, it's cute, you know?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You shared uh, recently, a. a post about women's why women's Bibles are pink, right? Like Mm -hmm. like what what's up with that? Um so and and then I also wanted to talk about the idea of that's actually sort of stunting to to people, right? So how 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 did you I mean you you obviously have this sort of bent to, hey, I'm just gonna go do this, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it. But not everybody's like that. And so how do you wrestle with that and how do you kind of how are you Maybe writing is your thing, but how are you trying to call people into that discipleship?
1: Man, that's a complicated question. That was like
0: four uh, questions. So you start wherever you want.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to answer that question um, for myself. Uh, how do you, How do you? Um, uh, for me and, and for the writing aspect of it, there's two levels of it. It's for my own learning and thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, writing, I learn when I'm writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I, I feel this need for conversation, for discussion, and that's my desire, is for more uh, men and women to be talking about these things, asking, you know. I think that my writing um, articulates a lot of questions that people already have, you know, regular people already have as churchgoers. Um, and, and for me, and I don't know, God has has given me some unique opportunities. Um, I definitely didn't have this ambition to uh, be an author. Even I just had a book in my head and wrote it. Yeah. Um, and so I certainly didn't have any ambition to be a podcaster, um, or a speaker. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to speak all over the place. And so in doing that, I meet lots of different people in God's church and it's so encouraging but I also get to hear the questions and the struggles that people are having as lay people. You know, I'm just an ordinary lay person. Um, But then I'm I'm also, I've had the opportunity uh, through the podcast and through my writing to meet a lot of academics and and, um, be sharpened by them and, and have friendships with some of them. And so I feel like, and I've said this before, I was watching, what is it? What is does that guy uh, bear something in the wild um, uh, bear grills or something like that? Yeah. He takes a, a celebrity into the wild, oh, no. you know, for like two nights and uh, they end up having to eat something disgusting. And, you know, he scares them to death with whatever it is they have to do. Um, well, he had Shaquille O'Neal on this episode and we were watching it with the family and Shaquille was talking about how he wanted to be like mayor or some, sheriff or something like that in his town. And he, he said the reason why is because he felt like he knew how to go upstairs and have a conversation and he knew how to go downstairs and have a conversation. And so that's why he thought he would be really good in that role. Cause he's bringing together different parts of the community. Yeah. And I so connected with that because I felt like, um, you know, ever since I was given that first systematic theology book, I just thought, wow, you know, like regular people can read uh, these theology books too, you know, and all you have to do is it, order them on the internet now, you know, it's just easy. <laughs> right. uh, and there's all of these seminary lectures and everything at our fingertips. Um, and so I feel like I've been able to go upstairs and, and learn from these, you know, some of these people and talk to them and have friendships with them. But academia doesn't exist just to talk to one another. The whole point is for it to trickle down to me, you know, to lay people. And so I'm trying to like say to other Lay people, like, look, look what we have, you know, at our access here, um, and point them up. and In academia, I feel like, look, there's there's people who really want to learn this stuff, um, and you know, help them better connect. I don't, like that's where I see myself functioning.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. In the information age, there's no excuse for not knowing, right? The all the all the stuff yeah. is is available. Um it's just mm-hmm. a matter of of making it accessible and so it's a valuable service to kind of put things together and or or have a book or something that that helps. Um hey I want to ask you do, have you ever had like a dark night of the soul or a time when you felt like god was far away or or
1: Um I was several definitely. <laughs> um when I was younger I I have scoliosis so I had to wear a back brace in middle school. Um which the average eye might not be able to notice, but mm-hmm. a self-conscious middle school girl, yeah. <laughs> certainly, uh, you know, that was, and it was a you know, very painful device to wear um, as well for a, a long time. So I think that was the first time I really had to struggle with kind of the why me stuff and, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or just being different and, and having to cope with some of those things. Um, I never felt far away from God through that though. I felt closer to him. Mm. And, and then, um, my parents' divorce was huge Mm, for me. Like that was just devastating. Um, and you know, it it revealed my own rebellion and things like that and how I reacted to it. So, uh, you know, I would say that I had certainly, uh, fled from God, even though I would have never said that then. Um, and then, uh. Yeah, when I sold my half of the the coffee shop, I I learned a lot then about um, identity and um, even idolatry. I so identified myself as that role of a coffee shop owner, and I so loved that job. I couldn't imagine life without it, you know? So when it became clear uh, in God's providence that he was pretty much asking me to to, to do this, to sell my half of the, of it and to walk away. Uh, I certainly had a lot more challenging questions than with God, (laughs) you know? And, um, it was so beautiful though, at the same time, because I didn't understand and I didn't want to, um, but I trusted God and, uh, and he's good. And he really, you know, he was, and now in hindsight, I can see much more clearly what was going on and, and, uh, how he's grown me through all of that. Um, so, um, and I, I, you you see the fruit from those kinds of things later when you go through other conflicts, you know, and you see, Oh God's already produced some, some fruit in me from this other one that's helping me now. You know, um, I would say that those were big learning.
0: Yeah. How did selling the coffee shop change your identity?
1: Well, I just realized that, um, my identity has to be in Christ alone. He's the one I look to for, for worth, Mm -hmm. for satisfaction, for all of those things, meaning and value, like that's all there. That's not in what I do or how other people see me or even, you know, when I feel like I'm really contributing in a way that God has called me to, um, because we're all easily replaceable. And, um, you know, we can take these things in gratitude and in fear a lot of the time because I feel like I'm often asked to, you know, given opportunities that I am very uncomfortable with doing, but um to hold them loosely um, and, yeah. and recognize that they're from the Lord, but that, that doesn't mean that that's tied to who I am.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, friends, I don't know if you heard that, but your identity is in Christ and not in what you do, not in what you produce not in who you are or the position that you hold, it's in Christ. And that is an objective reality that never changes.
1: It's so freeing. That's the most freeing thing to know, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can relate to that. And, uh, so even if you don't feel like you're contributing enough or you're not doing the things you want to do, press into those things, go for them. Cause Mm -hmm. I think God may put them there for a purpose, but also know that you are who he's made you to be. And you're accepted by him, uh, through Christ. Um, as well. So, yeah, I love that. That's really, really powerful. Okay. So uh, if you guys didn't notice um, when I, when I asked about the uh, the systematic theology, you hesitated just a little bit, Amy, just a little bit, because it was Wayne Grudem. And so uh, for my friends is uh, the, the book. So the reason this is a provocative title, recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood is because you're, you're directly challenging uh, the book that Grudem and John Piper wrote in the '90s, called "Biblical" or "Recovering Biblical Manhood," yeah, Moment, "Recovering right? Biblical Manhood." So right. you're you're one little word in there, and uh and it's <laughs> it's a challenging title, but I love it. I love it. So um why, why what was what was the kind of the impetus? And I mean, we kind of already started talking about the the idea of discipleship for for everyone, but. What was kind of the impetus for the for that book, and why you thought we should you should challenge that whole idea? Yeah,
1: well, it's funny because I wasn't originally wanting to make this about a challenge or a critique yeah. of this movement of biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, my next plan for writing, my passion, um, and I feel like my books do kind of build off of one another, was to start working on a more of a tool for churches to help um, in discipleship and uh, to use in training and uh, disciples. But as I tried that and, uh, and was taking that approach, I was certainly hitting some major roadblocks because A, I am a woman writing it and B, I was writing it for discipling both men and women together and so what I thought weren't that big a deal (laughs) it was a major deal so as I was talking to my editor a hopeful editor to be about this book proposal and project that I was working on um, she said to me you know I I think you need to address the roadblock you know because you're you're not going to get over it unless you address it and um, she's right and so, uh, and then she said to me, and this is something I had to realize about myself, because, and maybe even more so as a woman, you want to, to have the, you want to avoid talking about some things. You don't, don't want to have to be uh, so challenging. You don't want to look rebellious, you know, and all these things. And yet she said to me, um, you know, we know you, you know, from your direct voice. That's what we like from you. And so I had to realize that really that is that's my strength as a writer um, is my direct, more direct yeah. approach. So that's what I went for in this book. And it, and it does critique and, I you know, using this tongue in cheek title. It, well, I mean, it's great for marketing, so I'm not going to lie about that.
2: Yeah,
1: hey. <laughs> but secondly, I think it points out the fact that, quote unquote, biblical manhood and womanhood is a movement that has. Mm impacted the way that we think, the way that we read scripture, the way that we view one another, and the way that we even view discipleship. So um, that's what I really was getting at with putting that word from in there is that um, it isn't just because you put the word biblical in front of something doesn't make it so it's a movement and we have to examine that movement.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. See, and I think that's fantastic. Cause it's so easy to just say, Hey, this is biblical. And because you can point to a couple of verses and mm-hmm. say, Hey, this is how everything should always be. Um, and I really appreciate some of the points you made in there for me. Um, cause like, you know, when I was in school, I tried to, I went to more toward that that way a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but me too. Event, yeah, but eventually I f- I had, uh, there were two thoughts that changed the way that I thought about, about this whole thing, this whole idea. And and it was one, both related to scripture. One was, I think there's a lot being read into Genesis three and Mm -hmm. Adam's role. Like that whole idea of like, yeah, he didn't stand up and do what he was supposed to do. I'm like, nobody says he, God doesn't (laughs) condemn him for that. Why should I, what are we talking about? Um, And then the, the other one is Ephesians five, where, in twenty two verse twenty two that word submit" doesn't actually appear there, which means it's all no, dependent yeah. on verse twenty one yeah. which is about mutual submission and once you know that, the whole everything else for me just unraveled like okay, that's probably not uh not not I'm not going to take it as seriously as I had because it doesn't seem to actually be biblical,
1: yeah, and even so, like when you're looking um and it is going back to that word "submit" in verse twenty-one, where it's talking about mutual submission. But then it said, "wives to husbands." Right. Um, okay, absolutely. But then, when he's talking about to the husband, to the kind of paterfamilias of the household, right? Mm-hmm. He's saying something revolutionary at that right. in that patriarchal culture. Well, first of all, he's even addressing wives. Right. That's revolutionary. First. And then secondly, that he is um calling the husband to put the wife's life above his own and to love his wife. Like at that time in that culture, they were told to rule their wives. Right. And instead they're told to love their wives in such a sacrificial way that, you know, they're elevating them at the cost of their, their own rights. Um, whoa. Well, yeah. That's huge.
0: That's also Christ like which yeah. is the whole point yeah.
1: love her like Christ loves the church yeah
0: that's the whole point and it's it's very different and so then when you get into the sort of patriarchal hey I'm you gotta honor me and all this stuff there's a myriad of books it's weird like it doesn't it doesn't it's actually
1: it, thank you for saying it that. Doesn't it doesn't line up it doesn't
0: it doesn't line up and um <laughs> so I'm really glad that that's there um so. Can we talk about the, I want to talk a little more about the discipleship piece, like, cause it, okay. cause it is weird, but it also, I think is stunting, you know, to people's right. discipleship. And so I know you have some things about to say about that. And what, like, how do you see it stunting women in particular?
1: Ooh. Yeah. I mean, so the way that women's, women's ministries have really been separated and, you know, I saw it myself, like I was telling you in the beginning of my marriage, uh, as a women's Bible study teacher, Um, I think women's Bible study is important and good and men's Bible study being exclusive and talking about, you know, some of our struggles, um, as men and women, we need that space and that's good. Um, however, if we're always, uh, being separated into a men's ministry and a women's ministry, um, in in an exaggerated way, I, I, which I believe the resources on biblical manhood and womanhood do, and then we're given, uh, this definition of, you know, m- mature masculinity and mature femininity that, um, is unscriptural.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and women don't seem to have any actual contribution in it. It's just nurturing male headship, all the, like that's what femininity is defined. Um, so it's kind of parasitic. Um, and then all the resources that are, um, marketed to women's ministries are Theology Light, or they are filled with error even about, uh, and I point out in the book, even on the doctrine of who God is in the, tr- the very mm. Trinity um, y- using um, uh, errant doctrine uh, of the son eternally submitting to the father and his very being. Yeah. I mean, this is against our, our ancient conf- creeds and, um, and what even a Christian believes about God?
0: Yeah, which is really important. I want to just highlight that for our friends listening. Um, So the the basic idea is called eternal submission of the Son, right? And the basic mm-hmm. idea is that in the Trinity, that the that the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Son, right? And so, isn't that how it goes? Or they perceive? Yeah. yeah.
1: Some will say that the Spirit submits to the Son and the Father.
0: Son but, and Father. Okay. Um, but, but it's
1: it, it's they're not talking about like. Jesus as our mediator, yeah. you know, in that role, uh, economically speaking, um, in the incarnation or anything like that. They're talking about in his very being, you know, ontologically, right. uh, the father has authority over the son.
0: Right. Which is different than the, the historic doctrine of the Trinity, which is that they are yeah. all the same, same essence, mm-hmm. uh, although well, they're so three persons things that we
1: confess about God. I mean, right. we confess that he is simple, that he has one will divine will. Um, So if the son is eternally subordinate to the father, that means that there's two wills,
0: Uh, you know? So
1: there's all kinds of problems involved in this, in this thinking.
0: Interesting. So we, we don't usually get that theological here, but that's okay. So (laughs) no, no, it's great. Actually. I think it's good because it just shows that when we're on the journey, uh, sometimes those things can, um, can be presented to us as being not only biblical, but right. And, and the things mm-hmm. that we should, yeah, so, should I mean, be believing. First,
1: it matters who God is. You know, right. like This is who we worship. Um, we want to worship him and think about him the way that he has revealed himself, which is the true way. Um, but then that was being used. There was an, another leap made to say that, therefore, um, men are ontologically, like in their being, uh, authoritative over women.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that
1: we and women in our being are nature. Are subordinate to men,
0: right? And that then gets, which is, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how you do that from Genesis, the, from creation it's accounts. Leap,
1: it's a, it's what well, you're starting with an error, and then you're, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're multiplying that error. So, so this theological, what you know, might sound to some of your listeners like hair splitting, even maybe, but this theological, um, these theological truths and doctrines about who God is. And what you believe about that then gets applied in practical everyday ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, in my writing and everything on all of this, I've just received so many messages that are just heartbreaking about it's, it's a culture ripe for abuse. So you, when you hear about it all, it's just terrible.
0: Right. And the reason that's important is because Jesus said, you know, the tree by its fruit, Right. Yeah. And so if it, if it's creating the conditions for abuse, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's it, certainly it's a hard issue. I don't
1: think that was an intention. No, I don't think know, so, but it may be doing it anyway. teaching. Um, but it does make it a lot easier, uh, and attracts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Okay. Well, again, the book is recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood. I want to make sure you guys know that. Um, I have a, I have. So I told you I asked some questions on Facebook, and so right. I wanted to see some people had some questions. Are you okay answering those?
1: Sure, if I can. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, we'll we'll throw them out there and You'll see what see. happens. Um, there, some people just put up uh, memes of Michael Jackson <laughs> eating popcorn and said, "I'm just here to read the comments." So. I guess maybe that'll be interesting. But uh, so one question, so one of the classic verses that get people go to is 1 Timothy uh, 2, right? Mm-hmm. The, the one about, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. How, right. do you, how do you deal with that one?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I've gotten a lot of pushback and critique because I don't talk about that verse in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because this book isn't about church leadership and who can be mm-hmm. ordained or not? Um, this book is about discipleship. What a layperson's responsibilities are, and so I'm focusing on what Scripture is saying about that. Um, and you know, in much as handfuls of verses, tell us that we are to teach one another, admonish one another. Um, Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Um, it's not a gendered verse. It's speaking to yeah. the whole congregation. Um, Hebrews five twelve. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. So here we're being told, whole congregation, that um, you need to be growing so that you're getting solid food, like you know deeper, richer doctrine, off of the you know, building off the foundational truths. And then once you have that, you're supposed to be teaching. Um, Romans twelve six through eight according to the grace given us we have given we are given different gifts if prophecy use it according to the portion of one's faith if service use it in service if teaching in teaching, you know so there's another one non gendered, but I but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way First Corinthians twelve thirty one it doesn't say hey women don't you desire <laughs> uh, you know except the women. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, mm-hmm. another tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. So when you, you have you know, these handfuls of verses where we're all being told you know, that we need to be teachers in the church um, as lay people, um, we, can, we can know that 1 Timothy 2 isn't saying that women shouldn't teach. Because that would contradict, right?
0: Yeah, it's letting scripture interpret scripture,
1: right? And however, and this is my interpretation. I think that there are you know several plausible interpretations for First Timothy two. It's a hotly debated verse. It is, and it's
0: more than we can probably go into. It's, but yeah,
1: oh yeah, yeah, and and it's um, so another reason why I don't think we should get our whole theology of men and women from you know a hotly debated, controversial verse. The, the only time that word authority is used yeah. in that verse, that's the only time it's used in scripture in that way. So um, another interesting rabbit trail you could go down.
0: Yeah, I totally, but, totally agree. It seems to me that there was something going on in Ephesus that Paul was taking care right, there's, telling there's Timothy to take There's
1: cultural issues. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But if, you know, let's, uh, for the sake of, you know, where my denomination would take it, I would say that this is talking about corporate worship and this is talking about church office of pastors and elders, Gotcha. And so that's where I would go with that right now. Um, not, I don't even hold fast, you know, it's really strong. I, I would love to read different um, interpretations of that verse, and I think I've been sharpened by many different ones on, on all sides. Right. Um, but I don't think that, I certainly don't think it is speaking against women as lay people, as disciples. Um, I think it would be disobedient for us not to be teaching. And that doesn't mean that, it's some big formal position, um, but that we're to teach one another even informally, and we do all the time.
0: Yeah, right. Which is just part of being in relationship, I think. Yeah, um, exactly. But but you, so it sounds like you would make a distinction between lay people and ordained people, and so
1: yeah. And I think that there's a special authority and a general authority in teaching as well.
0: Mm, okay, interesting. So like one of the questions, and this is from one of my more reform friends, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. was asking, you know, how can a woman meet the biblical qualifications of an elder? And it sounds like you might say, well, she can't because she can't be an elder.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean, my position um, is that that office is reserved for qualified men um, and that that is representative of Christ's love for his church, you know, representative and, and kind of coming alongside as, as the bridegroom uh, or as the groom's bridesman or yeah, groomsman, but um, sharing the gifts of the groom with the church. But I wouldn't, um, even though that's my position, I find it very odd how it's being treated as a first order doctrine that people are mm. condemning, you know, heresy over and things like that.
0: Right. Which is very interesting. So yeah, that, that idea of the, they're the essentials of the faith versus the things that, that we can agree to right. disagree might on.
1: Separate where we worship, but I still very much think that we should be in conversation as brothers and sisters And there's plenty who don't take the same um, interpretation as me who are uphold the authority of scripture and are trying to be faithful to that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fascinating. So that's one thing I hope friends that you get wherever you are on that issue. uh, Amy, you're committed to just to scripture, to looking at the whole picture and uh, and and acting based upon that. Um, So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. well, that's fascinating. Like I said, I, I love I love that you're making the, um, raising the conversation, starting the conversation. I know you've taken some flack in that. I'm sorry that that's been the case, but I appreciate putting
2: it lightly. Yeah,
0: I know. Uh, (laughs) uh, I appreciate you, you sharing it and starting the conversation. I think someone needs to, you know, I've got a 18 year old daughter also who, who just graduated and I want her to to be discipled, right? I want her to never feel like a second class citizen in the kingdom of God because she is not. The Lord has created her for things to do, right? That will that and the she whole must pursue.
1: Out if we don't have that reciprocity,
0: hundred percent, energetic, yeah. I I agree, and I really believe that's where the Lord is leading us. So, well, Amy, anything you want to leave us with?
1: Um, I just want to say that it's. You know, I'm learning and I'm still learning. And so I hope that this book helps to, I hope that church leaders will read it and really start conversations in their church. I have questions at the end of each chapter that, um, you know, I I really think that a lot of people are asking these questions. They might not land in the same places as me with their, you know, with where they're going. But um, I think we need to use, exercise a lot of humility in this conversation. and it's hard to do because it's become a real hot-button uh, hot issue and a controversial issue and and it's kind of sad because I think a lot of us, even though we have some differences, hold to the same principles and um, the same concerns about our outside society and wanting to address all those. So. Uh, I think humility is really important for for me and for everyone else. And I'm sure we can all improve in that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I learned that one the hard way in my twenties having (laughs) theological discussions, but (laughs) uh, definitely humility is always important. Amy, thanks so much for being here friends. I have uh, links to everything we talked about. So if you want to find Amy's website, the housewife theologian, you can read that. Um, We've got links to recovering biblical manhood and womanhood uh, the mortification of spin podcast. You're in the app already. Just go switch over. It really is a fun podcast. Um, and then a couple other books, uh, no little women, which I think is also a genius title. So that's great. Um, Amy, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me here.